If you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is a day of celebration. Now, if, if you've not been here in a while, I just encourage you to come back because I believe the house of the Lord should be a house of joy. It should be a house of joy. We, we should have... Okay, I'm going to say this word in church. We should have fun in the house of the Lord. We should have fun serving the Lord. We should have fun being together. It should be a great day. And uh, this is obviously that day of celebration. And, and you've seen our, our, our graduates that are, that are members here. And we, we celebrate with these three guys. In fact, we're going to do the Baptist thing at the end of this service. And we're going to carry them out to eat and don't ask me. You can't go if you don't have a graduate in your family, okay? We, we're going to carry these guys out to eat, and we're going to have a great time. But uh, I'm reminded that this church is making a big investment in the future because a week from Friday night, our school will be graduating three seniors that night. And, it's, and I will just, is it okay for me to invite everybody to Yes, week from Friday night, we're going to have graduation right here for those folks. And, um, you know, we should celebrate every, every time that we invest in the life of a young person. We should celebrate it. And when I was a kid, if I say that, that means I think our, our graduates are kids. When I was graduating, I had the wrong idea about graduation. I felt like it was the end. Hello? And certainly there are some ends because you're not ever going back to school again. But uh, um, if it's a front, if it's an end, it is the front end, because education was never designed to, get to give us all the answers in life. Education was just to give us the intellectual tools we have to to begin to navigate the life. And whether you graduate from preschool, high school, middle school, college, grad school, trade school, or whatever. There is still much learning to be had uh, in the process of life. And when you graduate, you merely turn the page. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, we have some folks in here who, uh, uh, who are much older than I, so it's been a lot longer since they graduated. And now, right, Jimmy? <laughs> I just love pointing to, I don't know why when I talk about age, I love pointing to you, Jimmy. I'll figure it out, okay? But, you know, the truth, I want you to think about it. What these graduates in this room will do, what our graduates in, uh, uh, in our Christian school will do, this, they go to this graduation service, and what do we call it? Commencement. Have you ever thought about that? I'm thinking of the end, and they're using the word commencement, and when you commence something, you begin something. And now most of us know that because we know that graduation is really the beginning of your adult life. The beginning. I mean, you've rated proficiently in these studies, and so now graduates choose a number of things. Some graduates go to college. We heard about that. Some graduates take a job. We heard about that. Some grad, And those are good things. And some graduates go to trade school. That's a good thing. Some graduates go into the military, and that's a good thing. Some graduates get a job, and that's a good thing. And some graduates get married, and that, 
I'll let you decide whether that's good or not, all right? But the truth is, is that when you get to this stage in life, it's like a fork in the road. Yogi Berra said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. And nobody, I never knew how, where that came from. And after the first, first service, Dwayne came up and said, you know where that came from? I said, no. He said, Yogi Berra lived on the uh, end of a cul-de-sac. It came in this way, and it made a circle and went back out. And he lived directly behind the, the circle. He said, so when you come to that fork in the road, take it. It doesn't matter which way you go. You're going to get to me. The truth is, is that my heart's desire today, as I prayed about this message, my heart desired was to give us tools, give us a message that would help, that would help Lane, Paxton, and Ike, would help other graduates, but would also be a word of encouragement, a reminder to us who are a little further down the road. You see, Hebrews tells us the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So if it's living, that means that God, once his word is spoken, he'll use that word in our hearts. And I hope today, as you see on the screen, as we talk about tools, tools for life, we're going to find some tools in Ephesians 4. If you would, if you found that text in your Bible, let's stand to honor the reading of God's holy word. If you don't have a Bible, there is one in the pew, and the, and the words are going to be on the screen also. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and this is what he says. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and many translations say in you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll take your words today, and I pray that you'll open our hearts, and I pray that you'll lance our hearts, and I pray that you'll fill us with your spirit, that you'll bring joy where it needs to come, but you'll bring conviction where conviction needs to come. I pray that you'll give us, chart our course, and give us the direction for life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> When I think about Paul's message to the church, Ephesians is the very heart of, that, of his message. He wrote this church to the church at Ephesus, a church that he loved, and he poured out his heart. And then when you get to chapter 4 of Ephesians, it is the heart of the heart to tell us what he wants us to know. Now we're going to dig out some tools from this text. You can roll that forward, being you're good. We're going to dig out some tools from that text. <coughs> Excuse me. But I'll make this point for you. Men, you'll know this just like that. Ladies, I hope you can make the application. 
There is nothing more frustrating than to start a job and not have the right tools. Could I get an amen? I mean, and there's nothing more fulfilling than doing a job and having the right tools. When I started doing a little bit of woodworking, uh, uh, not, I'm not a craftsman by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it sure did simplify things, Todd, when I got that chop saw. It just simplified things. It simplified things when I got the router. <clears throat> it just simplified things. And so I want to give us four tools today that, that if we have these tools, it will make life become spiritually successful and spiritually fulfilled. So we're going to take all four of them right out of the Scripture. If we're going to have the life that God wants us to have, the first tool that I'm going to bring to your attention is we must have a clarity about God. A clarity about God. As I told the first hour, it seems that every time I go to God's Word to study, this truth comes to the forefront because it is so important in America. People are not really clear about who God is, about what God is, about who we're praying to. In fact, I'll just tell you, on Thursday, Thursday of this week is National Day of Prayer. I've been asked to speak at a, a, in Columbia. On a, um, I think it's on the steps of the uh, courthouse, and we start at 5.30. And as I've been preparing for that message, I have to address who we're praying to. Who it is. We need a clarity in this country because there has never been a time when it's been so murky or fuzzy. And, and uh, uh, when you think about clarity, I, I want to illustrate it this way. It was in January 1996 that we were doing some work on the sound system in the building where I was. We'd run new snakes for the, for the microphones and what have you. And so we'd gotten everything done. We, we'd gotten the, the ends uh soldered and what have you, and I crawled up under the stage to punch in, to punch in to a phone block the two ends of the wires. And I crawled under the stage, and what has never been a problem before, Tim, is I took those two wires and I go, where's the block? The block? It's here. I, and I don't laugh too much because either you Either you have been there or you're going to get there, okay? I went to the doctor a couple of days later and he checked my eyes and he, and I, he, said, he said, Mr. Watts, I love it when they call you Mr. Watts, Mr. Watts, how old are you? And I said, I'm two months shy of 42. And he said, you made it two years past that magic age because at 40, everybody's eyes begin to fall off a little bit. I felt like mine had fell out and I hadn't, I hadn't been able to see since. I wear glasses, you know why? Because I want to see the world clear. Clarity means something to me. You know what the truth is? Is that having a clarity about God is essential if you don't want your life to be hijacked by the gods of this world. In verse 4 through 6, if you'll look down there, I'm going to point this to you. There is, a, there is a word there that jumps out at me, and it's the third word in verse 4. There is one. One. Years ago, I preached a, a message on numerology in the Bible. Numbers mean something in 
the Bible. And the truth is, number one, is very significant. It speaks of singleness. It speaks of unity. It speaks of new beginnings. It speaks of the oneness of God himself. Deuteronomy says this, the Lord our God is one. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Jesus is the firstborn, number one, of the dead. One with Christ means unity. It means harmony. It means union. And our scripture says, did you see these ones here? Our scripture says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father, over all, in all, through all. It just about covers it. And then... If you go back in the Old Testament, in, Deut- in uh, Exodus 20, God gave the Jewish people and us rules to live by. Did you realize that was in the Bible, rules to live by? We call them the Decalogue, or we call them the Ten Commandments. And the number one of the Ten Commandments, are you listening? I am the Lord your God. And you shall have no other God before me or beside me. I've said it once, but I want to just reiterate this. If your concept of God is murky, fuzzy, or distant, chances are the gods of this world will get a hearing from you and you may find yourself following the gods of this world. Do you know why? Because the gods of this world are going to do their best to allure you by using means and ways that appears that appeals to your humanity. And he's being successful today. You know what the number one growing religion in America is today? It's the nuns. That's not N-U-N-S as in Catholic nun. It is the N-O-N-E-S. The people, I hate to tell you this, young folks, because I love you so much, but I'll just prepare you. And it's coming right out of the, the schools, high schools and colleges. The nuns, they have no religious affiliation. They believe nothing. They, they, they hang their hat on nothing. You're in this house, so obviously you have some kind of idea about Jehovah God. We need to be clear about it. Clear about it. You know why? You must own your own faith. I'm going to come back to that two or three times again, but I want to say it again. You must own your own belief system. It's not enough to have mom and dad's belief system. You have to own it. And if you're going to own your own belief system, your own faith system, that means that you have to be very clear about who your God is. The first thing, the first tool you're going to need to navigate life is the clarity about God. The second one that I find here is a characteristic like God, a like God. In verse 2, here's what Paul says. He says, with all, here they are, humility, gentleness with patience bearing one another in love. Humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Two of those threes are named fruits in the fruit of the Spirit list. The other one's just an indication of a spiritual maturity. I want to pause here and say this. Please listen to me, men. I don't want you to be emasculated. I don't want you to become feminine men. But listen to me. Pride among the southern male stands in the way of a man really knowing God. Pride. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I've seen this. Wow. You know, pride takes over us in places we don't even think about, in places you don't want me to talk about, okay? Let me just tell you this. Here we go. You're driving along. And somebody starts to pass you. What is your first instinct? They're not getting around me. Yeah. Okay, you're not laughing because I just hit you right where it hurts, huh? Yesterday I was coming down 10 Mile Creek Road going too fast. I'm telling you, I was going too fast. And the reason I was going too fast is I had a little car that was right up on my bumper. I mean, if I'd have tapped my brakes, we'd have had a car, we'd have had a called the sheriff because there had been an accident. And so I come up here and I stop. You do realize that in Marion County, the four-way stop at 10 Mile Creek Road and New Hope Church Road, you do realize that's just a suggestion. That's not a real stop sign, don't you? And so I stopped. Evidently, I made that driver mad because when I made the left turn headed toward the house, passed me on the bridge. You know what? Pride's eating us up. And until we divest ourselves of pride, we will never understand this humility and gentleness and patience. God resists the proud. I'm going to give you, this is free. This wasn't first hour. This is free. I want to give this to you. God, the Bible says God resists the proud. Do you know what it means? I'm going to give you a picture that every person in this room knows. Football player got the ball and running, and an attacker's coming, and he throws out a stiff arm to keep that defense from touching him. Do you know that's the same picture? God's stiff arms, the proud. You see, folks, please listen. Studying God's Word, that's Sunday school, that's worship, that's small groups, that's private devotion. Study God's Word is not simply about adding to your knowledge. Studying God's Word, being here today, is about changing your life. It's not about how much of God's Word you know. It's about how much God's Word changes you. The characteristics mentioned in God's Word are characteristics that will set you apart in this culture. And it comes from seeking God. It comes from loving God. It comes from following God. It comes from walking with God. When humility, gentleness, and patience all come together in your life, then God's desire will begin to surface through your life. Think about this. If we are prideful, you and me, God has no way of working through us. He doesn't work through a full cup. cup has to be empty. But that's only one part of the characteristic. If we get down to verse 3, it, it, takes, it would take a little time to unpack it totally, but let's just kind of see if we get a handle on verse 3. He says, eager, eager, you know what eager means, 
to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. Unity of the Spirit and the bonds of peace. It's interesting that it's put here so succinctly because in the Christian community today, this is the huge problem. Church after church after church, fellowship after fellowship after fellowship are splitting and going their own ways. And yet this unity was on the heart of Jesus in his darkest hour. John 17, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane pouring out his heart. And his last prayer was, Lord, Father, make them one as you and I are one. He prayed for our unity. And our unity brings forth fruit. But I want to tell you about that prayer. He prayed that in the garden. And then the next day he was crucified, stayed in the grave three days, was resurrected, walked the earth for 40 days, and then he ascended back to heaven. And of the 500 people reportedly on the Mount of Transfiguration, only 120 of them made them back made it back to Jerusalem to pray, 120 from 500, that's about right for a Baptist crowd. They go back to, or 120 go back, and they pray for 10 days before the Holy Spirit falls. Why is that? Acts 2.1 says this, and when they were all together, I want to say this to you, church, all together, all. That means everybody. Do I need to explain that? Evan, you've been here long. Do I need to explain? You got it. Okay. I need to explain what all means, Todd. No, got it. All right. All together in one accord and in one place, the Holy Spirit of God fell. You see, the truth is, the Holy Spirit fell and He felt where you could feel it. I read a book yesterday by, I was reading a book, Jim Simbler. He's talking about when he was eight years old. He was in a service with his mom and with his grandmom and dad. He said, I was sitting there and all of a sudden I could tell something was in the room. Didn't know what it was. And I turned to my grandmother and I said, what is that? She goes, oh, that's the presence of God. Man, that's what I pray for us every week. The manifest presence of God. For you see, when the manifest presence of God comes... Unity is a byproduct. Unity is important for us. Oh, Brother Jerry, get off of that. We're unified, and I'm going to say this if we have guests in the house. We have no problems in this congregation. Well, we have no unity problems. We probably got our own problems. I'm here. If you were a perfect church and you called me for your pastor, you just called a problem. Okay, y'all got me? We have no unity problems. But it is plaguing the church today. Everybody needs unity for fulfillment, for success, for happiness. Let me just give you a couple of for instance. The ball team that you follow. By the way, this is a, this is a freebie. And I, and I may have missed some if I have. Do you realize that we have had young people on the front page of the newspaper the past three weeks. Did you realize that? I can think of two right now, but there's probably more. But I saw Ike on the front page of the newspaper. 
I'm telling you what, batting 800, he ought to be front page of every newspaper in in America. Is that a good place for an amen? If you don't, if you played baseball, you know about that. A couple last week, I think it was Kaylee Stringer was on the front page with the Wildcats. I mean, I mean, I can name others who have I've seen on the front page of my Facebook page. We are blessed. But my point here is this: is that a ball team, if he's going to win, they all have to be unified and trying to do the same thing. Are y'all getting what I'm trying to communicate to you? Trying to do the same. If you have a racing team, you have to do the same thing. You have to do it together. You have to have the same agenda. If you have a company, you have to have everybody on the same page. Please listen. If God's house, we call a church, is going to be spiritually successful and eternally successful, it's going to be because we are walking in the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. That Spirit has now wrapped around us and bundled us together for the things of eternity. Folks, if you can picture what it is to live in the unity of the Spirit and in the bond of peace, then you know what it is to have this characteristic. By this, John said, John wrote, by this, John wrote, Jesus said, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love for one another. This book says, eager to maintain. Are you eager to maintain it at all cost? I'm going to give you one thought and I'm going to move on because you're not listening fast enough. Time's gone. Here it is. Anyone can be a dissenter. If you don't know what dissenter is, anyone can be a troublemaker. But it takes a godly person to build unity. Tools for life. Graduates, please listen to these things. You need a clarity about God. You need a characteristic like God. And the the third thing you need is a call from God. What a tool that is. We speak in the church a great deal about God's calling. God called me to pastor here. I believe that. God called Brother Evan to be the associate pastor here. God called Brother Eric to be the what are you here? The worship minister here. I'm teasing him. The, the truth is, is that the greatest call from God that you'll ever receive is a call to trust Christ as your personal Savior. And once you've done that, the call from God is found here at the end of verse 1. I urge you, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Old translations say, I urge you to walk worthy. Walk worthy. You see the depth of his emotion when he says, I urge you, I beseech you, I invite you, I implore you, I beg you to walk, live yourself, live your life, deport yourself, act, conduct yourself, regulate your life, to live your life. I urge you to walk Worthy, that worthy means that, that we're due a reward. Walk in such a way that we're due a reward, that we're of a godly sort, that we walk suitably and appropriately 
in a manner worthy of the calling, your vocation, your avocation, whatever he's called you to do, of which you are called. And that means he's called you aloud. That means he's called you verbally and vocally. You get that thought? I mean, this is our tool. Paul is imploring you and me to conduct our lives in such a way that we demonstrate by our character and our action that we believe in the Lord Jesus, that we believe in God the Father. And because of those things, we live our lives in a manner where others can see Jesus in us. Now, that's where the water meets the wheel. For years, we sang songs like, Let others see Jesus in you. I'll live for him, living for Jesus. I'm going to confess to you, I never particularly liked, I loved the lyrics. I never particularly liked the music. As a musician, I thought they could have said it a little better. But the words are powerful. While passing through this world of sin and others, your life shall view. Be clean and pure without within and let others see Jesus in you. Living for Jesus a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted. And we need to, I want to put a stamp on the glad-hearted, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. One that meant a great deal to me was, uh, it's probably 30 years old now. The Course says, you're the only Jesus that some will ever see. You're the only word of life that some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in who was all they'll ever need. Because you're the only Jesus. Some will ever see. I ask you, what if the only, what if the only source of the knowledge of God that one of your friends has is you? What if whether they go to heaven or hell depends on what they see in you? You see, the calling of God calls us to live for him in this world. If we don't sense a call from God, you know what will happen? At the first sound of trouble, we'll take a break. We'll run. When our boat hits the, rock, hits the uh, uh, waves, we will bail and swim for shore. I hate to say it, but too many of us take, when it comes to matters of faith, too many of us take kind of a case, sirrah, sirrah. Young people, y'all don't know that song, so let me tell you, that means whatever will be, will be. They kind of take that attitude toward faith and, and kind of neglected the call of God on their life. They really don't want to own their faith. Graduates, please listen to me. Your faith will be with you for the rest of your life. If you don't own your faith, 
It'll get the best of you. You'll have no if you if you don't own it, you'll have no reason to live it out. And if you have no reason to live it out, most more times than not, you find yourself in a life of misery. Your faith in Jesus Christ, this call from God, can lead you to a life of fulfillment, of, of happiness, of and satisfaction. You see, the truth is, is that your faith is a very personal thing. I spoke to the graduates. That's good for everybody else, too. Let me come back to that in a second. I've given you three tools. You see them on the screen. Clarity about God, characteristic like God, a call from God. The last one that I'm going to give you is the first one in the order of importance. And that is this. The greatest and most needed tool for life for you is to be a child of God. Where do we find that in the Scripture? Unlikely place, the first sentence. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. Now, we know, we know physically that Paul was actually in prison when he wrote these words. But he wrote them in such a passionate way that every translation you pick up, I read about 10 or 11 of them, it's translated one way, prisoner, prisoner. Word means to be bound, to be captive, to be in bonds. And when you're somebody's prisoner, they take care of you. They watch over you. They plan your schedule. They protect you. They provide for you. They make plans for you. And one day, one day down the road, whether you are, whether you are or not his prisoner, will become very clear. You see, we're not guaranteed this life. Most people live like, I did when I was a teenager, lived like there was, I was going to live forever. A lot of ways, when I was a young adult, young parent, I lived like uh, this was going to last forever. You see, if you're a child of God, when this life ends, that truth will be the greatest truth, the greatest tool you possess. You know why? Because when you depart this life, you go into eternity. When you go into eternity, you will either go alone or you will go with him. If you go it alone, I can assure you, you're not going to like the, the end result there. If you go with him, you've got a guide that's already been there. I graduated high school in 1972, Purvis High School. We were a very small school. We had 82, 83 graduates. Of those 82, 83, there were some 30 or 40 of us that had started first grade together and now graduated together. I looked around that night and I thought, boy, that, she, him, 
she, him, him, her, him, her. We're going to be friends for life. And I'll just tell you with a few exceptions, I've seen a couple of them at reunions we tried to have. But for the most part, lost touch. I tell you that to tell you young people and graduates, you can't base your life on your friends. Not because they're bad. Just because life has a way of of changing your road. Changing your path. When I say a child of God and you need to be a child of God, please listen. There is an erroneous, false, wrong philosophy permeating among us and particularly our young folks. And I'm just talking about teenagers. I'm talking about generally the under 40 crowd. And here it is. We are all God's children. Every one of us are God's children. I hope you haven't bought into that. Because I will tell you, according to this book, we are not all God's children. We are all God's creation. But the only way you get to be God's child is to be born and adopted into the family. You know why that's important? It's a cultural thing from when the Bible was written. When a child was born into the family back in those days, certainly he, he, he became the heir. Heir. But did you know this? That culture, the man of the house had all the power. I mean, he could tell the wife, I don't need you anymore. You're gone. That's why they try to say, you at least need to give her a writ of divorce so everybody knows she's divorced. But all he had to do in that culture was say, you're gone. When it came to the child that was born in the family, all the father had to do was say, I disown you. And I'm just going to tell you, that hadn't been that long ago that it's been real. I can dis- disown you. For those folks, children born in the family. Conversely, when they adopted someone into the family, he became a full heir. But you know what? He could not disown the adopted child. You know what that means? Jesus said, Unless you're born again, you'll not see the kingdom. Hello? We have to be born by water and by blood. We have to be born again to be in his family. But guess what? When that happens, we get the adoption as of the Father. So now we got the best of both worlds. We have, we're joint heirs of Jesus, and we can't be disowned. Doesn't that make you thrilled? But listen, don't minimize what it takes to be born. The Bible tells us, I'm landing this plane, so please hang on. The Bible tells us 
that there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That glory kind of stumps you. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's best. Because the Bible tells us that God is holy and he can allow, cannot allow sin into his life, into his presence. And we are sinful by nature and by choice. Something had to be done. So when we were sinners, when we, when we were bound for a place called hell, not even prepared for us, it was prepared for the devil and his, and his own demons. When we were sinners and bound there, God demonstrated his love in this way. That while we were sinners, he sent Jesus to die for us. Pay the price for our sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now he's talking to the Ephesians. So look, for by grace you are saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone want to brag about it. <laughs> See, folks, it's not about the faith of your mother. I've said three times, you have to own your faith. Please listen, and I'm done. If you're dependent on the faith of your mother, your daddy, your wife, your granddad who was a preacher, your grandmother who was a prayer, your best friend who loves the Lord with all their heart, if you're dependent on the faith of anybody else to get you there, you're going to miss the boat. I don't know how to be any clearer. We place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We repent of our sin. We turn from our sin. We ask him to forgive us of our sin. He does and he makes us right before the Father in heaven. Seniors, have you done that? Parents, have you done that? People, have you done that? We're not even guaranteed tomorrow. Today would be a good day to trust Christ and get all the tools that you need for life. Let's pray together.